Hey everyone, welcome to The Whole Truth. This is an important episode, and I'll admit I was a little bit of a fanboy on this one. A little bit? A little bit, yeah. A little Kurt bit? Kurt's, uh, Understatement of the century. That's fair. That's fair. But Jared Morris joins us for an interview. He's an expert in the world of podcasting and digital marketing, and he really was a huge inspiration for this show. So why is this an important episode? Because it gets to the heart of what our show is. Listen for the part where Jared discusses being willing to step up and lead the conversation. Yeah. So remember, our goal for this show is to build a community. We want you to be involved in conversations like this as we collectively build this show together. In addition to the discussion around building our show, we get into several marketing concepts that'll be useful for you all. And without further ado, here's our conversation with Jared Morris. The views expressed herein are those of the participants and not those of Touchstone Investments. Welcome to The Whole Truth, everybody. Steve Side here with my partner, as always, Kurt Dupuis. Kurt, how are you today, sir? I'm doing good. I'm really excited about what we're throwing down today. This is this is going to be a very, very special episode. We, we plan to do this for a long, long time, do a lot of episodes. And I think no matter what, this will always be a really special episode because the gentleman that's joining us today, this, this podcast would not exist without him. And we're really, really excited to ha- have him. He's Jared Morris. Jared, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It is uh, it is an honor to be here for this show. I'm really excited about what you guys are doing. So excited yeah. to join you. Yeah, I'll give you a little bit of the backstory here. So I'm a humongous Indiana Hoosier basketball fan. I think anyone who's an Indiana Hoosier fans pretty much would describe themselves as humongous. We've got a pretty rabid fan base. Is that fair to say, Jared? I would say so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Jared runs uh, an incredible, a couple of incredible podcasts, uh, The Assembly Call and Podcasts on the Brink. And that's how I started listening to his work. And I'll pause here, Jared, because I want you to share everything you're doing because there you have so much going on. Kurt and I were researching this. Can you just summarize your background and what you're working on for our audience? Yeah. So, you know, The Assembly Call and Podcasts on the Brink, like you said, are a couple of Indiana basketball podcasts that really started out more as kind of fun side projects and have grown into a little bit more than that because The Assembly Call is now nine years old, which is crazy to, yeah, crazy to think about. And, you know, so I I have those going on kind of on the side. And then for my main job, um, I work for basically a website called unemployable and we run a a podcast called seven figure small. And then we have a basically an online community for freelancers and solopreneurs. And really I've spent the last decade basically helping people build audiences and build businesses online. Um, Worked for copy blogger before that rainmaker digital. That's where I started the showrunner podcast, which was all about helping people, you know, start podcasts and, and, and launch successful podcasts and then also helped run a community called Digital Commerce Institute that was all about helping people, you know, develop uh, businesses built around digital commerce. So, have really, like I said, basically spent the last decade helping people build audiences, and then also, you know, use those audiences to then, you know, build a business. You know, whether it's a full time business or something on the side. And so that's that's what I'm really passionate about, and that's kind of what I what I do myself, and what I like helping people do. Solopreneur. I'm, I'm already learning new words. And I, I did not know as much about Jared before we, we reached out, which, which Steve will get into. I just know that he has a Wikipedia page and anybody that has a Wikipedia page is like a real person. So I feel like we're in the presence of a famous guy. Although I don't think you're verified on Twitter. You have any comments about that? Yeah, I don't, 
I don't know. I have I have no comment. My my co-host Ryan <laughs> on the assembly call is verified on Twitter, which he likes to hold over our heads. Oh dang! Um, I don't know. You know, I've submitted for the verification and have been denied. So, well, the backstory is so. I started listening to a lot of podcasts. I think a lot of folks have over the past, you know, call it half decade. And the assembly call, I, I don't think I've missed an episode in God, four years at least. And what what struck me as I listened to to his show over and over again is it felt less like radio to me and more like a community. And that's what kind of in my head started to think about, okay. Maybe our industry, and Jared, you know, we're in the financial services industry and the investment business, and mm-hmm. our clients are financial advisors. Maybe we could build a community around a medium like this because our industry has been doing a lot of the same things for 20, 30 years. And so, you know, doing anything different is, is sort of seems like shocking, but I, but I did think it was possible. And, and I wonder how that strikes you because. I was listening to the showrunner and you did a episode called eight ideas to help you develop rabid loyal audience members. And you started that episode and you said, you know, we have this thing that we do with the assembly call and we have people come on and they say over and over again that they feel part of the show. That's what I felt. Hmm. So that's kind of when we started, that's when the idea came to me and that's when I reached out to you and I just couldn't believe you wrote back to me. (laughs) You know, that's I'm I'm glad that you say that. I'm happy that you say that because I think, you know, when we first launched the assembly call, you know, a big part of it was, okay, none of us, my three co-hosts and I, you know, none of us lived in Indiana and we would watch games and we kind of wanted a place to hang out and talk about games afterwards. And there wasn't a place. So it's like, let's create one. And, you know, so it was about analyzing the team and, and doing that kind of thing. But I think we quickly learned that you know our niche and the way that we were going to actually build something wasn't just to provide the best analysis on the team it was to build a community and that you know to me i i really feel like that's what we do like that is our purpose with the assembly call like yes you know we do post game analysis we come on on thursday nights and you know do analysis of the team that's and obviously that has to be good like if that wasn't good people wouldn't come to listen to us but i think the bigger part and the reason why we've succeeded is because it is a community. And because, you know, we take the time to connect with people one-on-one, like with you and like with other listeners. And we have things like live chats that people can participate in and we really care. And I think people can sense that. And I think nowadays that's what people are really hungry for is connection. You know, we live in a disconnected society and people people want to feel that connection. And so, you know, whenever you're creating a podcast or any type of online content, like, yes, you know, the content that you create is very important, but you take it to the next level and you build something special when you actually focus on connection and focus on community. And and that's what can separate a show. Because, you know, 10 years ago, you could just like start a podcast and build an audience because there weren't very many of them. Now there's a ton of them. So what's that extra thing that gets people to continue listening when they have so many other choices? It's the connection that they have with you, the connection that they build with other audience members, you know, through a community to where they don't want to miss because they don't want to miss an inside joke or they don't want to miss yeah. something that that gets talked about. And you don't just develop that by accident. I think it's something that you have to be intentional about. But boy, when you do it, it really is a, a special thing. And it, it not only creates that, a special connection for the audience, but I think as a content creator, it gives you a real feeling of purpose behind what you're doing. 
one of the things that that we think about is, like Steve said, there's been so little change in so many aspects of the financial services industry. I think we're probably pretty early on this, which is good because I think we can screw up for a little while and you know no, no one will really notice. But because the problems are almost ubiquitous, I mean, we we go around and talk to financial advisors all day, the same problems come up over and over again. So if we can over time put really actionable solutions around those and, and create that emotional connection with, with, with people out there. That's what we're hoping to build uh, over time. I think you hit on a key part there. You know, whenever you're trying to build an audience, you know, it's so important to be able to relate with that audience. And, you know, one of the best ways is just to be a member of the audience that you're trying to serve. You know, I think for us, one of the fundamental reasons why, you know, the shows about Indiana basketball have worked is I'm a, I've been a part of that audience for 35 years. You know, like mm-hmm. I get the context. I know the issues. Like I know what makes people excited, the memories. Like, you know, there's there's that shared experience there. And, you know, same thing with Showrunner. Like I've run different podcasts, you know. And so I think when you can, when you come from the audience, but you just step up and you say, hey, I'm willing to lead the conversation, you know, come with me. You know, I think that gives you such a leg up you know, and, and just being able to really connect with people in an authentic way, because you're only going to be able to fake it for so long, you sure. know? And so when you're actually genuinely there and you care about the people you're serving and you've had similar experiences to them, that's going to come across. And that, I mean, that just, that makes that connection so much stronger. I'm so glad that he just said that. What he just described of, we're going to lead the conversation, but we're doing this with a group of people. And we're all like, that is the show. That is exactly what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is, yeah, okay. Out of the gate, we're going to come up with topics that I think that we've spent some time on and we've worked on and we've got some expertise, but then what we're looking to do is for the audience to, you know, to feed us stuff and for us to do the work on behalf of this community, uh, to, to, for the community to be a part. I mean, we're going to interview folks in our audience and hopefully in ways that are helpful to them. And we're going to explore topics that are interested in them. So I was just so struck by what you just said, because that's exactly what we're doing. That's great. I mean, that's a, that's a good formula for it working. You know, it's, I think, you know, sometimes people are reticent to, to start a show or put content out there. Cause it's like, you know, they feel like they've got to be the super expert, you know, and you don't, you know, you just have to be willing to lead the conversation. But, you know, that also requires a certain amount of humility because sometimes people, you know, start a show or start content. And it's like, well, I, you know, I know everything. I have all the answers. Let me put them out there. And that's fine. You know, you'll attract a certain amount of people who just want to get the answers. And if you are really competent and you have a lot of expertise, you can build an audience that way. But you don't really build a connection that way, you know? Yeah. And so that's why I try and look at it not as, you know, on, on any of the shows, like, like I have the answers and I'm just trying to give you my expertise. I just want to lead the conversation that people interested in this in this topic want to be a part of. And that, I think, makes it an inviting feeling for people to want to come in and be a part of it. I've heard you say something similar to that, and, and it gave me a lot of peace of mind knowing that we didn't have to be experts on what we're talking about. And you think you made the comment, you just got to be a couple steps ahead. And because we do this every day, we're not experts in a lot of the topics that we're talking about, but we're at least a step or two ahead that we can have a, a somewhat intelligent conversation about that. That's one of the things that gave me the confidence that that we could do this, that we didn't have to come in with a PhD in, in any of this. 
Yeah, it's a, you know, I, I think there's a balance. Like you got to know what you're talking about. You know, like you do have to know your stuff yeah. and you can't you can't say things that are wrong and people need to be able to learn that they can trust your analysis, but you don't have to have all the answers. You know, because maybe if there's something that you don't necessarily know, you can bring in a guest expert, you know, but if you've developed that authority to where the audience knows, okay, they're going to explain the stuff that they know, and they'll bring in other people that they don't, and they'll be candid where it's something that maybe they don't know that well. That's how you build that trust, you know, and that's what is so important because I never want to take a short term view with the audience where it's like, okay, I feel insecure, whatever. So I'm going to, lie about an experience here, like try to act like I have this or that answer there because the audience is going to know that. And that's going to hurt you trying to build that long-term connection with them. It's always better to just be candid, be open and allow that trust to build in a in a natural way. Because any any type of podcast, any type of content thing, you can go out and get quick short-term results, but they don't really mean much. You know, where you really get something special is over the long term, and you have to be committed to it over the long term um, if you really want to get the most out of it. Can I ask you a question uh, re- regarding that? One of your episodes on Showrunner that was particularly impactful was it was either 100 or 101, but you talked about pillars authenticity, usefulness, sustainability, profitability, pillars for building an audience, for building a podcast. And so the idea of sustainability, so I don't think there's anything like what we want to bring to the internet world today, but I've probably found five or six different financial advisors that have podcasts. And of those five or six, there's only one that is continuing to put out episodes. Most do it for six to 18 months with some level of regularity, and then they they fizzle out. So sustainability, like what does that mean and why do people fizzle out so much? Sustainability, the way that we basically break it down is you've got to show up and then you've got to show up reliably. So, you know, on some kind of regular schedule that people know, and then you've got to show up reliably over time. You know, so if you just show up once, like that's great. That episode can be out there and people can find it, but you're not really going to build a following that way, you know. But if you show up reliably, you know, you're showing up maybe every week, now people start to get into a rhythm of listening to you. And podcast listening is very much a habit. And so you want to make sure that you give people that habit as much as possible. Now, it might not always be possible. You know, like the absolute best that you can do might be episodes kind of randomly every couple weeks, and you just can't do it better than that. And if that's the case, that's better than nothing. But what's really ideal is every Tuesday at noon, our episode comes out. Because now I kind of get used to it as a listener and I'm ready for it. You know, with the assembly call, like I, people know that as soon as the game ends, we're going to go live if they want to watch us live. And they know that the podcast will be posted about a half hour after that. And we never deviate from that because we always want people to know that schedule and, and, and people just get comfortable with it. And so showing up reliably allows, allows people to get into the habit of listening to you, but then it show up reliably over time. You just have to build that time. You know, people who have been listening to us with the assembly call, they've developed a relationship with us, some people over nine years. They've seen me get married. They've seen me have a kid. They've seen us get sick. Like they've seen, they've seen us go through like life changes all while talking about Indiana basketball. You know, and it like people feel like they know you and and you get to know them if you have that kind of interaction. And now it's more than just listening to these three guys talk about IU basketball. It's like, 
I'm going to go hang out with my friends after the game. I mean, that's really the way that it feels. And But you only get that over time when you've really given a chance for people to get to know you, you've let people in, and that relationship builds. And so the sustainability part of any podcast is by far like the easiest one to like explain, the easiest one to figure, okay, show up, show up reliably, show up reliably over time, fine. Like that is all very, very simple. And it is absolutely the hardest one to actually execute. But it it pays so many dividends and they're just there's just no way that you can recreate the compounding power of doing it for a year or five years or whatever it is. Like you you can't you can't fast forward through that no matter what you do. And so you've just got to understand that every episode that you put out, especially if it's at a reliable time, you're just laying bricks and laying bricks and laying bricks. But the power of that really compounds over time. That's excellent. Well, we're going to take a quick break. Um, we're going to come back with more uh, with Jared Morris. This is The Whole Truth. Stick with us. Welcome back, everyone. We're still here with Jared Morris. And what we're going to do here is getting in, get into some of the topics that he's talked about over various platforms, whether it's a podcast, you heard all the things that he's involved with. And we'll start with this one. You talked about in the showrunner, the idea of unfair advantages. And I should have mentioned up front, Jared touches some of these amazing topics. And I want our industry to think about, I I love bringing ideas, concepts from other industries into our industry and rethink things and turn things upside down because, because we're so highly regulated, things get stale and they do the same thing. So, so we're going to shake up, you know, ideas on the show for sure. So why don't you talk a little bit about unfair advantages? So unfair advantage, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, if you're going to start a show, right? Be part of the audience, but be the one that's willing to raise their hand and say, I'll lead the conversation. Well, what are some of the reasons why you should be the one to lead the conversation? Well, some of those may be because you have some unfair advantages that allow you to do it better than other people. You know, and so when I look at, you know, back when we launched the assembly call, some of the reasons why that worked, you know, my dad was a football coach at Indiana. And so actually, I kind of like grew up, you know, going to football games, going to basketball games, like sitting right behind the bench, like, you know, my dad would pick me up from lunch in elementary school and we'd go play basketball at Assembly Hall with the other football coaches. Like I got to have some experiences, you know, early on as a kid that were really, really cool and kind of built those emotional connections. That plus just, you know, following the team so in depth as I had over many, many years, there was a certain advantage just in depth of knowledge and experience. But at the same time, you know, when we launched the show, I was working for a, well, we had actually founded our own hosting company. And so I, you know, I was able to basically host the show for free. And a lot of the things that people would have had to pay for, I didn't have to pay for. You know, got those free, was able to get help from, you know, my partner who was much more technical than I was. I was, you know, kind of more of a content guy. And as I went through with that show, because my job was based around content marketing and teaching people how to build audiences online. I could use the assembly call as a like a sandbox to try new things, to use as examples, to use as a case study. So I could actually do it during the day and justify it, you know, while I was getting paid by my company because I was using it as a case study. Whereas, you know, someone else, if they're, you know, working at maybe a more regular job, they would have had to do it all on the side. So there were some unfair advantages based on my background, based on kind of my job situation at the time that I was able to leverage that 
you know, allowed me to invest maybe more time in it and 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 do some more things without having to pay for them that other people might have had. And that was an unfair advantage that we had that, you know, someone else wouldn't have had. Same thing, you know, for you guys, like what you told me about the buy-in that you got from your CEO and the support you're going to have from marketing and the the editing support that you're going to have. I mean, those are big time unfair advantages when you're getting ready to launch a podcast because a lot of people might not have those. And that really gives you guys the opportunity to focus on, you know, building your chemistry and building your show and just focusing on the content. So, you know, I always think it's important to to look for those and look where you can leverage those unfair advantages, but also just to be self-aware that you have them. I think one of the biggest things that anybody hosting a show or leading an audience can have is humility. And that's one of the things that can really help you maintain that humility where it's not just like, man, look at me and look at what I built. I am awesome. It's like, okay, no, I had this experience. I had this help, you know, this reason, you know, help me out. Like remembering that just helps to ground you, which again, I just, I think is one of the most important things that you can have long-term for really developing an authentic relationship with an audience. Yeah. Was it, didn't you come up with a word, a combination of confidence and humility? Yeah. Primility. Yeah. Combined. Primility, pri- yeah. Cause you don't, you don't want to be too humble because yeah. if you're too humble, then you won't actually remember, Hey, but I have something to say too. So yeah, I, yeah. you know, I had some help along the way, but I also worked really hard and had a lot to do with this too. So it's, it's that combination of pride and humility. That's the sweet spot. I think pride and humility. I yeah. knew I was close on that, but no, I, I think about the idea of unfair advantages. And I think that's pretty amazing to share about what Kurt and I have, but for financial advisors, so it could be pretty easy to look around and say, okay, well, there's so many different financial advisors out there and, you know, everyone's focused on fees and lower fees and there's no, you know, value. It's like, no, take a step back and think about like, what is, what is your unfair advantages? What is it that really makes you special Mm -hmm. in the role? And I think that's just so important in, in a world where, people are saying, oh, fees got to go lower and there's and that kind of thing. I just think it's our industry could use more of that. Yeah. Point. There, I think I just saw a stat today that there are 900,000 podcasts and Apple podcasts, I think. Wow. You know, so there's tons of podcasts, there's tons of content, like there's tons of everything out there. So if you're trying to build any type of audience in a lot of ways, being different is better than just being better. <laughs> you know, you've got to, you've got to actually be different. And those unfair advantages are some of those differences. Like those can be some of those things that set you apart. And I think it is essential when you're going out there to build anything that you know specifically what makes you different because you have to really be able to position yourself with that and be able to articulate it to an audience so that they know what makes you different because they've got tons of stuff to choose and, and look for. And being different is is you know is going to help separate you in a landscape now where you know, you really have to try to find separation. So one of the things that I think we want to to give the audience is some of your expertise that's pertinent for financial advisors. Not to put you on the spot, but but first question, do you have a financial advisor and what does that relationship look like? Do you, you have any backstory there? I do not have a financial advisor. Probably should. My wife and I have talked about doing that. We even we did go and meet with one like four or five years ago, but then never okay. followed through on it. So great. What not having a financial advisor, what would you look for? If if someone wanted to to woo you as a client, what types of venues would it be online referrals? Would it be word of mouth? What would what do you think would eventually drive you in your selection process? 
the number one thing would be the recommendation of someone I trust, you know, a friend, a family member, or, you know, some type of online authority whose opinion I really trusted, even if I didn't know them. That would be the most important thing. Like someone who I know and I know that they probably have a similar type background to what I do, if they made a recommendation, I mean, that would just go so much further than any web copy or, or anything out there. You know, that word of mouth is so powerful in that way. And it's interesting that you said it's something like I do. And that gets that idea of niches, right? So yeah. the advisors that I see that are having the most success are the resource for a very specific niche, right? Because so imagine if, you know, you and all you, the folks that are in your industry, there's a few folks that supported that. I think that that's, that's, you know, gets that idea of unfair advantages if you become, you know, yeah. the resource for a particular niche. Yeah. I, no, that's a really good point. That's a really, really good point. You know, like, probably, I mean, probably the number one thing that both my wife and I would look at is someone that has experience, you know, doing financial advising for young families, you know, and yeah. setting up college funds and doing, you know, doing all of that kind of stuff. That would probably be the number one thing for us. Um, and so, yeah, someone who specialized in that or had experience in that, that would be huge. So I want to transition to a couple of other topics. And again, we'll, we'll, we'll relate it to our industry. You had something, an episode called Shaking Up Your Experience. And I know that that had to do with podcast episodes. And I want to hear your comment. But I also think about it in terms of you know financial advisors and their client base and things have been the exact same and maybe things are fine. But I, I just think you know you should always be looking to raise your game and shake things up and make things better. So maybe comment at what you meant by that. And then if you had any thoughts on what I mentioned for our industry. I, so I believe I have not listened back to that episode in a while, but I, you know, I believe what we were talking about there is trying something new. And like you said, raising your game, trying to bring something new to the audience, because, you know, it's weird, I, you know, building an audience, you know, you want to have, with any type of show or really you know anything you're doing I, I the way that I look at it and it's kind of a really weird metaphor but I when people listen to shows that I do I want them to feel like they're putting on their most comfortable clothes which which like I said is a weird metaphor but it's like they just they know what to expect kind of is. <laughs> they they know what to expect it's comfortable you know the the intro is the same and they know kind of what the segments are going to be and that like they just it's it's comfortable it's warm it's it's what they're used to and yet you know you can't just do the same thing over and over again you've got to try and shake it up a little bit so whether that's trying a, a different segment topic here you know or doing a little bit of something different you don't want to make wholesale changes but within that kind of those comfortable confines trying something a little bit new as an experiment and then seeing you know what people like like we've tried that with the assembly call you know different segment types and sometimes they totally bomb and sometimes people really like them and it's you take it as feedback as data and it's like okay that didn't work we will never do that again or okay there was something there and we can kind of we can kind of work on that a little bit even outside of the context of just trying to build an audience or create content I think you can, you know, you can try and do that, you know, try to push yourself out of your own comfort zone and try to offer something a little bit different, but always be mindful that it's an experiment, not a certainty and really try to take the feedback that you get and then, you know, figure out if it's something to double down on or get rid of, which sometimes it may be. Yeah. And I think people sometimes are really scared to fail, especially when you have clients, you know, Yeah, but, um, 
But, you know, sometimes taking a risk is where you find something special sometimes. So one of the things that you've written about recently, which I think is so relevant to our industry and everyone, is the idea of protecting your attention. Can you talk about that? Oh, boy. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody experiences this now where it feels like there's a constant war for your attention. You know, whether it's notifications on your phone or you know, emails constantly popping up or whatever, it just different options for content, you know, new podcasts are out, there's new shows on net, like there are just so many different things it feels like that we could focus our attention on in any given, you know, moment, protecting that and making sure that we're actually focusing it on our priorities and the things that we should be focusing on. And then once we make that choice, being able to maintain it is, I mean, it is, probably one of the most important skills people can have now that you don't even talk about, you know, because people who can protect their attention are going to be able to get more meaningful work done. And even if they're maybe not quite as competent as somebody else, if they're just stacking more of those bricks than the other person is, they're going to, they're going to get ahead. And so, you know, whether that's being extremely meticulous with what notifications you allow on your phone or how much time you're going to give to social media or whatever it is, protecting your attention is one of the most important keys to actually being able to get get important work done. And that's, yeah, that's what for any of us, that's going to determine how far we go in our given field is how much meaningful work can you get done? Not just busy work, you know, pushing emails in and out or responding on social media, that kind of thing, but how much deep, meaningful work can you get done that really pushes the ball forward? You know, and you can't, do that if you're not really focused. Yeah, it's so relevant because the day of a financial advisor is he or she comes in, they're bombarded by emails and phone calls, not phone, you know important phone calls, phone calls. They've got uh, things the firms are trying to get them to do to keep them busy. And it's this nonstop cycle that they can get caught into. And so what I always try to advise, particularly around the important things like business building and client services dedicate some time directly for that where unless there's a complete emergency you know unless the coronavirus outbreak in your office <laughs> where you need where you need to run away dedicate that time you know you listed a bunch of things like turn the phone off like make sure that that time is completely protected and i just thought that was that was so important to everybody but but definitely our audience as well you know one other tool that can be really helpful there's a tool called rescue time that actually runs in the background of your computer and it'll it basically tracks all the different websites that you go to. So, you know, if you're kind of into data and into tracking, you can see, oh boy, I spent like six hours on social media this week. And then, and you can kind of, you're able to classify what each thing is. So like for you, like, you know, for, for someone, you know, maybe being on LinkedIn is actually like productive time. You know, that might not be a waste of time. So you can go classify it. But what's really nice is they have a focused work option. And so you can say like, okay, I'm going to get focused for 50 minutes. And all of the websites that you have classified as not productive or only mildly productive, they won't even let you go to them for those 50 minutes wow. or 25 minutes or whatever you do. Now, you know, you can get by it with like, there's like a whole, you know, you can click and put in passwords and like do some different things like if you really need to, but it really kind of puts up barriers. So it makes you think about it. And it's like, instead of just... I mean, I, I do this way too much. You know, I'll just go like pop open Twitter real quick just to see if there's any news, you know, in between tasks. And now, you know, if I do that, it makes it hard to do. And I actually have to think about, okay, do I actually want to do this or should I get back to work? And usually I'm like, all right, 
you know, it was it was like an instinct to do it, but I'm like, all right, let me get back on task. And it can it can really be helpful just cutting down on the switching costs that can really add up throughout the day. I want to summarize here because we really I, I can't tell you, Jared, how much I appreciate you doing this. This is at, for someone who listens to you hours and hours and hours and hours over the course of a year. This has been a surreal, surreal interview for me. So thank you very much for your time. No, man, you're welcome. And I, I mean, I really appreciate you asking me. I love talking about this stuff and yeah, you know, and I, I mean, I really do. I mean, I love, I mean, the opportunities that we've had to talk on the phone and, you know, the opportunities to, it, it's always great. You know, when you, when you put out a show and you know that a lot of people listen to it, it is so rewarding to actually be able to talk with the individual people and get to know them. You know, because it's it's one of those things. It helps hold you accountable as a you know as someone who's creating content or building an audience. You know, because it's like, all right, kind of not feeling like doing this today, but man, you know, I know Steve really likes listening to the show, and I know him, and I know you know, like being able to know your audience members on a first name basis, and like not just be able to see their face in your mind, but have had conversations with them. Like it, it just it it again, it takes that connection and community to the next level, which can sound really cheesy especially if you've never done it before but once you have it makes it just makes it all mean so much more so i mean i i really do appreciate this opportunity and the opportunity to talk to your audience too yeah it's awesome it's like i reach out to you and all of a sudden i i found i just want to pick your brain about podcasting and what we were trying to do here and then i realized you had this whole other podcast to teach people about podcasting i was like what a crazy <laughs> turn of events but thank you so i want to do a sum up because with each of our episodes, we want to have clear takeaways. I mean, this is our show is is for our audience to get better. So I, I kind of want to share a couple of my takeaways talking to you. And the first takeaway and probably the most important is everyone should be reading and listening to Jared's work. So from our audience, what's the best way outside of the IU podcast, which I, I think everyone should listen to anyway, <laughs> but outside of that, for those non IU fans, where can people read and hear your work? You know, probably the best place right now, you know, obviously the sure wonder, we're not actually producing new episodes for that, but it is out there. And so if you're interested in learning more about podcasting, you can go to showrunner.fm. The website is there. You can search for the showrunner and that is there. You can follow me on Twitter if you want to connect individually, Twitter, J-E-R-O-D-M-O-R-R-I-S. And, you know, if you have folks in your audience who are, you know, running their own business, if they are, you know, solopreneurs, then what we have going on at Unemployable could really be valuable in the community that we have there. So I would recommend uh, unemployable.com. And then, you know, there's a, we have a podcast there and then you'll see the links for the community, but those are probably the best places. Excellent. I'll, I'll have to check out Unemployable because I haven't gone down that as well. I'd love, I'd love to dig into that. So here are a couple of my things. So one, he mentioned rescue time, you know, protecting your attention and rescue time. That seems like a pretty good way to do it. But also, you know, think about blocking out periods of time in your day for activities that are most important for your business. And a lot of times that's going to be, you know, client service and, and business building activities. The second thing I've written down is what are your unfair advantages? So you should know why you are different from all the other financial advisors that are out there. And the last one, and I think this is a pretty cool one, and this is why I'm here, and I think it's a good thing to think about in client services, shake up your experience. You know, What could you be doing each and every year, each and every few months that just raises the bar, raises the game for, for, your, for your clients? And when you do those things, I think it'll be a, a big improvement. So I want to thank our guest again, Jared Morris. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you next time on The Whole Truth. Uh, signing off. Thanks. Thank you. 
Please note that this content was created as of the specific date indicated and reflects views as of that date. It will be kept solely for historical purposes and opinions may change without notice in reacting to shifting economic, market, business, and other conditions. Touchstone funds are distributed by Touchstone Securities Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer and member FINRA and SIPC.